0: you take a seat. Uh, as I said it's a great joy to have James with us and I'm going to invite him uh, up here and give him this microphone. Um, James is the Executive Director of Whitliff Bible Translators. That's right. Uh, and uh, it's a great privilege to have him with us and he'll be sharing uh, with us from God's Word in uh, a few uh, moments of time. But first I thought we'd get to know him a little bit. So uh, James why don't you tell us about yourself, where you've come from, your family uh, and how it is you came to work for Whitliff.
1: Yeah, so um, I live in Oxford with my wife Caroline, uh, our four children. They're at church in Oxford today. I do have sometimes some short vowel sounds despite living in the south. I say grass, not grass, because I grew up in Bradford. So you should hopefully be able to understand me correctly, and I can understand you, which would be a great relief. <laughs> yeah. And I used to be a church leader, actually, um, uh, a church not that dissimilar t- t- to this one on the, on the staff team there. And I realized that yeah, my own uh, work was involved in getting the Bible... Uh, into people's hearts and lives and showing the good news of Jesus. Uh, Maybe preaching on a Sunday, maybe uh, leading small midweek Bible study groups, maybe one-to-one looking at the Bible with people. And then when I realized that one in five people worldwide don't have the Bible in their language, I think it really quite shocked me and I realized that actually there are churches where you turn up on, on, a, on a Sunday and the, the church leader is totally under-resourced for the task and so congregations aren't growing to maturity in the way you'd expect because they, they have to use the Bible in, in, a, in a foreign language, in a colonial language and not in their own language and challenge that. So I left church work and I joined Whitliff Bible Translators to try and take part in doing something about that.
0: Great. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the story of Whitliffe Bible Translators, how it came to be? Uh, to exist and and what it's been up to since then. Yeah,
1: thank you. So we were founded um, uh, in the UK uh, by other mission organisations who were concerned, likewise, that they've got people around the world trying to do things, organisations like OMF and others that that you may have heard of, uh, realised that they needed to accelerate the task of Bible translation, but they thought it would be done more effectively by having a specialist organisation to work on that task for them. So they founded uh, us here um, there was an American uh, pre-runner, but we were founded locally here. And, uh, and we've grown from that point. We've got around 370 people serving with us uh, around the world today, including Margaret Hill from this church. Some of you will know Margaret. Um, this church has made a tremendous uh, difference, uh, particularly in parts of Africa, uh, through Margaret, who, who is now at the stage in life where she's just training others and multiplying workers. It's a very effective thing to do. Uh we are, uh, with our partner organizations, working around 2,100 languages uh, right now.
0: And, um, well, I think we might get a flavor of this if you come to lunch, but just give us a, a flavor of the size of the task very briefly. How, how many languages are there in the world? Let's put you on the spot. Right,
1: yeah, so there's about 7,400 languages in the world, something like that, that are actively spoken uh, today, um, of which, guess how many languages have a Bible? 698. There's now because of our work, I mean that number is slowly rising through what we're doing, we've also got around another 1,300, 1,500 languages with a New Testament available, and as I say, we're currently working in around 2,000 languages as we try to scale up to do this. So right now, um, one in five people worldwide don't have a Bible in their language, so 80% do. There's around 10% additional with a New Testament in their language. And we think that with a bit of uh, concerted effort and prayer support, and if we all just go for this, we could get to 95% have a Bible within 15 years, and 99.9% have a New Testament uh, within 15 years. Uh, so that's the exciting thing that we're we're, we're seeing God do, um, which we're inviting people to take part
0: in to enable that to happen. James, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I think we're going to show a video in just a moment, and then then we're going to hear from the Bible, and James is going to Oh, sorry. Let me
1: just say what the video is. So just to give people an insight into the work, so we sent, uh, there was a New Testament uh, just being dedicated and launched in in Uganda. So so a few people went out with a camera. They filmed it just so you can get a little insight into what it looks like on the ground.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. And we're going to see that now uh, and then we're going to have our Bible reading and then James is going to come and preach God's word uh, to us.
2: Being a pastor of a church when you don't have a Bible in your language, it has been very difficult.
1: Imagine reading the Bible in a language which is, I would say, your third language. It took us
2: nearly 13 years to translate the New Testament into Luguerre. I want us to see that these scriptures get into the hearts of the people, not to have scriptures in the bookshelves. The first time I walked in with the Derugwere Bible, at the top of my voice, I told them, This is the Derugwere Bible. And people stood up and clapped and shouted. Some of them didn't know how to express it, experiencing the joy.
0: I put it on here
2: like this and others were putting on the head. Feeling like as if they are hugging the Bible. For me, I'm blessed that I'm among the first people to handle it in my hand. The old testament is definitely a bigger task. And the funding plays a critical role in the work of Bible translation. Um, we're producing some school materials so that schools have books they can use to teach children to read and write. It has really helped the, the rates of literacy within Lugwere. Previously, we used to use Luganda Bibles and like the Bible studies are boring. They were boring to them. They don't want to listen anymore. It was hard to convince people to start the Bible. But when they are using their, their language, eh? it makes uh, a difference.
1: It's now easy for me to read the Bible and get the clear meaning of it.
0: I feel like the whole Bible should
2: be in my head. I'm knowing the scriptures better because they are in my mother tongue. It, it is just seeing a dream come true at last. This is like a revival time for our people. God knows our language. Now the Lord is dwelling among the Bapuere. Oh His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. We're going to have our reading now, and the reading is Revelation chapter 5, and can be found on page 1,236 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. So Revelation 5, starting at verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seven seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying... You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's pray. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Father, we ask that Jesus will be honoured amongst us now as we consider his plan for our lives. Amen. Well, it is uh, great to be with you here with you today. Um, if you want to know more about Wycliffe, um, I'm not going to talk too much now. I want to stick to the Bible passage. But through in the, in the zone through there, we've got a table. Uh, a colleague, Cater, uh, has come down with a whole load of stuff to share, including magazines and different things. You can just... Find us on Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest or Twitter or whatever your thing is. But, um, or message us through, through uh, Instagram if you want to stay in touch. Uh, but also just through there, you can actually sign up and we'll put stuff in the post to you. That uh, is, is an easy way to get our magazine, prayer news, and easy to unsubscribe if, if it out you, you sign up by mistake. Um, one thing also just to say is I've brought some copies of a book uh, by John Piper called Risk is Right. I would love to give you a free copy of that book if you find this talk helpful. We don't have enough for everyone, but if this talk is helpful to you, uh, go through and say to Kater, James said, uh, free book, please, and she'll, she'll, she'll grab it for you there. Okay, well, let's focus on the Bible reading. Uh, I just really want to look at one verse, actually, from the reading, verse 9. Verse 9 is at the heart of the chapter. It is, I think, the key which, makes helps, which helps make sense of life today. This passage is a glimpse into heaven. And in heaven, what's being said about Jesus is verse nine: "You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You are worthy. Jesus is worthy. It says he's he's worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. What, what does that mean? Why does that matter?" Well, the chapter started, with in verse, uh, verse 1 onwards, with, with God himself holding a scroll in his hand. And it turns out, if you read on in Revelation, that this scroll is God's master plan for history. God has plans. He made this world for a purpose. And he didn't intend for it to last forever. He gave this world a beginning, and he plans to give it an end. And because this world now is in something of a mess... His master plan is to sort it all out, once and for all. He plans to crush all that is evil, all that spoils, and to remake this world again. But there is a problem. You see, verse 1 said that this scroll was sealed with seven seals. That is, it's all locked up. God's great master plan for world history couldn't be actioned. It couldn't be opened It's like at a seminar at college uh, or at work where someone turns up to do a PowerPoint presentation and they're setting it all up, but their laptop isn't working and it turns out their battery is flat and they they don't have the power lead. Have you ever seen this happen? And the PowerPoint is all there, They, they assure you. All those slides are there with their glorious bullet points written in there. They assure you, but with the computer dead, that presentation will never be seen. It's all locked up. Now, with PowerPoint slides, uh, that's something of a relief, obviously. Uh, One less presentation to sit through, hey? But when we're talking about God's plans for world history, that is a disaster. So John, who's having this vision, begins to weep. Verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. It's a disaster because unless that scroll is opened, God's plans cannot take place. And unless God's sovereign plans are put into action, well, then all history will be meaningless or or life devoid of purpose. Without God achieving what he wants, there will be no happy ending for any of us. Only terror awaits. No wonder John weeps. But then, wait a moment, verse 6, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne. Verse 7, he went and took the scroll. Verse 9, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Jesus is the only one who can open up the scroll. That is, he alone can reveal the destiny that God has planned for the world. But but why? Why is the the eternal future of the world and the future of each of our lives effectively in his hands? Well, verse 9 tells us why. It is because, well, two reasons actually. Firstly, Jesus' death brings urgently needed salvation. Verse 9, they say about Jesus, you're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. The death of Jesus on a cross is being talked about in heaven. More than that, it's being celebrated in heaven because, well, what's the reason given here? Verse 9, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood, that is, by giving your life, by dying on a cross, you purchased for God persons. The death of Jesus purchased people. That is, it, it ransomed them out of captivity. And it says he purchased them for God. It's a reminder there that, by nature, human beings are not God's people. No matter how polite we are, no matter how good we try to be, by nature we are trapped by the power of sin. And without Jesus, we're held captive, whether we like it or not, and we cannot escape. And so, there is no way that God can go ahead with all his plans for history, because if he did, He would have to come in judgment on us and none of us would survive. But God has a heart of love. That's not what he wants to do. He he made the world. He loves the people. God's not some sort of vengeful tyrant. He doesn't want to destroy all people. What he wants is to make all things new. So for so long as people are held captive to sin, God's plans must be put on hold. That scroll must stay sealed shut. But now, wonderfully, amazingly, the death of Jesus has ransomed people for God. Jesus' death brings salvation for all who put their trust in him. We are purchased for God so that no longer in captivity, we have a new owner, a new status as the people belonging to God himself. And that is why Jesus can set history going once again. Because God plans to surround himself with his people for all eternity. But without Jesus' death, he would have no people. We'd all rejected him. But now in Jesus, through Jesus, we can be saved. So now God's plans for the end of the world can now come into play. The scroll can be opened. We can now be sure, therefore, that God will bring history to its final conclusion, to that point where evil is punished and where his people get to reign in a whole new world in his presence. This world is still a messy place. We will, all of us, go through hard times sooner or later But yet now, because of Jesus, there is meaning. Now, because of Jesus, there is purpose to our lives. Now, because of Jesus, there is value and significance to our lives. For many of us, life will not be easy. But now that that scroll has been opened, we can be sure that we will reach that destination for those who trust in Jesus. What God has planned for the world will certainly be come to pass indeed that's what helps us from uh, living self-centered selfish inward looking lives and gives us a whole new perspective on life in this world i mean if you know already how the world is going to end doesn't that make you look at the needs of manchester differently or of the uk of the world it shines a whole new light on those knees, doesn't it? Jesus, you see, he purchased us for God. And that means not only that our individual futures are safe, that believers in Jesus are secure, it means that all of God's plans for the entire world are now moving forward to that day of their final completion, and that that day when the world is no more will be here soon with all its eternal consequences. Now, we haven't really got to the best part of verse 9 yet. Let me show you that. At the end of verse 9, it says of Jesus that with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. The emphasis here is on the word every. The verse is not so much about who Jesus purchased as where he purchased them from. Jesus' death brings salvation reaching the whole world. That's the second reason why Jesus has this pivotal role in bringing about God's eternal plans because of the global reach of what Jesus accomplished. Jesus purchased for God from every tribe in the world, from every language group in the world, from every people group in the world, from every nation of the world. Too often we forget this verse, I think. When at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, we tend to think that there's there's what, there's like 190-something countries in the world? But that's missing the point. The word in our Bibles translated as as nations, isn't talking about the modern nation-states that we have today, really it means people group, and there's a lot more people groups than there are countries, thousands more. And that becomes very clear here in Revelation. Verse 9 says that Jesus purchased for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. I mean, just look at that verse. What, what do you see there? I look and see over 7,000 languages, of which fewer than 10% have a Bible. I look and see over a billion people who do not have a Bible available in their language find that shocking it still shocks me that nearly 200 million people don't even have a single verse in their language not even John 3:16 and i look at a verse like that and i see that god's plans for this world are bigger than ours and we have some catching up to do i mean when you look at that verse what do you see there i hope you get the point it's making that jesus was only permitted to open the scroll, mapping out God's plans for the world. He was only counted worthy to do it because he had redeemed people out of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Jesus ransomed people from all corners of the world, from communities right across the globe. And that is why God's master plan for the history of the whole world could be unlocked, because of the global extent of his salvation. And and if you put all that together, you see that God's eternal plan has always been for individuals from every tribe and language and people and nation to all be brought into his presence. And that that is the shape and direction of all world history. God's people are to be a multilingual, multi-ethnic, multi-cultural uh, family. People from all different races, different languages, different cultures. Every uh, caste, every social class. All brought together by Jesus for God. Friends, I, I should point out that if that is God's plan for world history, then it should be our plan for us our lives also it's the fool who tries to make their own plans for their life and then tries to make those things happen regardless of what god might be doing yeah. the, the wise person seeks to understand what god's agenda is and then makes his agenda our agenda we would be so much happier if we just did that we would save ourselves so much grief and, and when we come to think, well, what is God's agenda? Well, we mustn't forget that his concern is global. Jesus sent us to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, because he had first redeemed from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. World mission is not just something for a few keen Christians. You know, there's some sorts of people. They just like that sort of thing. God himself has a heart for world mission. And so all godly people will share his concern. Jesus himself gave his life to get people of every tribe, language, people and nation back to God for eternity. Can I ask, what are you giving your life for? Don't waste your life pursuing the things of this world if christ gave his life for you well give your life expend your life pour out your life use up your life pursuing those things that matter most to him how many years do you have left in this world what are you going to use them for how much wealth will you leave behind you when you die what could you have used it for Gospel has not yet reached enough people. It has not even yet reached enough people groups. It will not do so without the Bible being made available. This work is ongoing, and we need to take care that we keep it fixed in our minds as the greatest challenge facing this generation. Perhaps I can ask you as a visitor to Manchester... Who are the the tribes, peoples around here who are currently unreached? As I know in the UK, Bible-believing Christians have a habit of of reaching their friendship networks, which is good, but of doing no more than that. We need to work harder at breaking out of the the communities and networks that we know to reach the mass of people of all walks of life and the long-standing immigrant communities with different religions. I wonder if you've ever stopped to consider the spiritual needs of Europe. How many Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, evangelical Christians are there in Europe? Well, in Germany, 2.1% of the population. In Belgium, 1.2%. In Italy, 1.1%. France, 1.0%. Czech Republic is just 0.7%. A figure so low, it's comparable to an Islamic country like Pakistan, 0.6%. Greece is 0.4%. Poland, 0.3%. Any of you from those countries will, will know this, but the rest of us need to wake up and pay attention. The biggest problem facing the EU right now is not Brexit It is that there are too few workers for the harvest field. There are people in communities across this country and this continent who Jesus died for but who are waiting to hear about it. And that's without even mentioning the tremendous need for the gospel all over the world. Globally, over 85% of all Hindus, Muslims and Buddhists do not know a Christian. Asia has a population of 3.6 billion people. Only 13% even know a Christian. 3.1 billion do not. How will they hear of Jesus? As I mentioned, one in five of the world's population do not even have a Bible available in their language. How could you lead someone to Christ without a Bible they can understand? How could you establish a church that plants other churches if they do not have full access to God's word? Jesus is building a global church which encompasses believers of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Wonderful things are happening. The gospel is being proclaimed. Bibles are being translated. But what part are we each going to play in this great task? What will our lives achieve? Well, instinctively, we know it's far too hard. Uh, what could we do against such overwhelming numbers? But I want to suggest that actually it's very simple and that if each of you were to prioritize this, you collectively could have tremendous impact. See, anyone who has the gospel is qualified to share the gospel. The only requirement needed to reach different communities in Manchester or around the world is that a few Christians go and live amongst them and share this good news. And for those who stay behind, to pray for them and to provide the funding for them to keep on going. That's how the early Christians saw their world changed. Just read the book of Acts. That's how things happen today. It's down to people like us who start to realise that Jesus' salvation is not just for people like us that it reaches globally, that it must be taken globally to every tribe, language, people and nation. Now the work of Wycliffe Bible Translators is a fundamental part of this because when we translate Bibles into people's languages, what we're effectively doing is unblocking a bottleneck which was slowing down evangelism and discipleship in those communities With the Bible available, people can find out about Jesus. Churches can grow. With the Bible available, other mission organisations can do their work more effectively, which is what they say to me. They say, James, we can't do our work until you've done yours. But no mission organisation can do anything without people. It takes people to go and do it and invest their lives in it. It takes people to stay and give and invest their money in it. And it takes people to pray. Prayer is what makes it all happen. I don't know, I wonder if everyone here is connected to a a mission partner and a mission organisation. It's very good to do that. If we share God's concern for world mission, it will mean praying for the work. And the simplest way to do that is to pray for one of the church's mission partners. Ask afterwards if you want to know who they are and to use a prayer diary from a good mission organisation. You can sign up and get ours. It's very short bullet points. Uh, You could leave it by the loo and just use it when you happen to be there. But when we pray, we are taking part. Prayer is effective. Prayer is real partnership, a necessary partnership in the work. It also means financial support for the work. The task of world mission is tremendously expensive and typically those who've travelled overseas depend entirely on what God gives them through the giving of uh, those in their home churches or for something like Bible translation that we saw in the video being done by local Christians typically depending also on financial support from the West. Well, if our plan for our lives revolves around ourselves, we will always prefer to keep our giving to a minimum. But if we're seeking to align our lives with God's master plan, then we want to ensure that at least some of our money is being used to reach every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. So we pray for the work as best we can. We we pay for the work as best we can. And as a church, we seek to send workers. Friends, it's time to start Identifying who else can go. I've spoken to Christians uh, in, in different countries of the world and asked them what ongoing help, support they need from the UK and they keep saying to me, please send more workers. And if such people don't come from a church like this and if such people don't come from a congregation like this one, where else are they going to come from? There are former members of Holy Trinity Platt, who are now serving in different parts of the world. I take it, therefore, that the next generation of mission workers from Holy Trinity are here in the congregation this morning. It's time to identify who are they, who can go next, and who the rest of us are called to support them. Pray that God would make Holy Trinity Plant a centre from which mission workers are sent out into different parts of the UK, of Europe, and of the world. And if you're wondering if that might be you, uh, please talk to me or my colleague Cater after the service. We work in partnership with other organisations, so we can advise you not just on needs within Wycliffe, uh, but other organisations as well. The need exists for recent graduates, as well as people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s who will make career changes if we don't just need linguists, you might think we need that. Well, we do, but not just that. We are calling out for godly people with a whole range of different skills to play their part in this urgent task that is fundamental to the growth of churches worldwide. Well, is that scary? Uh, does the thought of stepping out to do something new scare you? Would you be frightened to leave friends and family to go where Christians are most needed? Does your bank balance feel threatened by the idea of funding world mission? Is it too big a risk? But what have we just been talking about? The scroll has been opened by Jesus so we can be sure that history is on track. We are the ones who know how the world is going to end. All God's master plan for the world is moving forward to its final completion And the scary thing would be to let that pass us by. Friends, if we take risks for Jesus, we have not risked anything at all. Jesus himself said, it is those who won't risk anything for him, they are the ones who will lose everything. As Christians, our future is secure. The scroll has been opened. God's master plan is in progress. We are safe. We are secure for all eternity. Nothing can ultimately harm us or hurt us. So therefore, we are free. We are free to make God's agenda our agenda, to get on with the task of making Jesus known in this world. Not looking in ourselves and our own needs anymore, but looking out at a world in which there are people whom God is calling to himself. Some from every tribe and language and people and nation who are waiting, waiting for someone to share the good news with them that they too, might hear and believe. Shall we pray then that God would use us for this great task? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus and for his great salvation. Please open our hearts and minds more and more to realise the wonderful work that Jesus has done and direct our lives so that we are more aligned with your plans for this world. Father, please use us to call those whom Jesus has purchased for you from every tribe, language, people and nation here in Manchester, in this nation and around the world. And especially, Lord, we ask that amongst us here today, you would raise up some to be the next generation of mission workers who will not cling to their lives, but who will gladly give up their careers and comfort to support minority Christian groups around the world in reaching their communities for the sake of the billions who are lost, who are waiting to hear the good news. And alongside them, Father, would you raise up many others today who will commit to funding that work and to praying for it. In Jesus' great and glorious name we ask these things.
0: Amen.